And here's what we do. We watch them. The men. We study them. We feed them. We please them. We can make them feel strong or weak. We know them that well. We know their worst nightmares. And with a bit of practice, that's what we'll become. Nightmares. One day, when we're ready, we're coming for you. Just wait. Hello, and welcome to Resisting Gilead. I'm Gina, and today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 3 of The Handmaid's Tale. But before I get into the episode today, I want to kind of frame things up for listeners in the context with Gilead and what we're really seeing in today's society and and some of our societal history, particularly when it comes to women and the violence inflicted upon them. Last night, I was able to attend a fundraising event for an organization called Futures Without Violence. Part of the event was we were watching the season premiere of Big Little Lies because as anyone knows who has watched that show last season dealt with domestic violence, violence against women in a variety of different ways. But but centrally, the violence was focused around Nicole Kidman's character and uh, Shailene Woodward's character as well. And it was really interesting listening to some of the people at the organization speak before we started watching the episode because they were talking about how while their organization has been in play for 30 years, that really the Violence Against Women Act, it did not pass until 1993, and then it was signed by Bill Clinton in 1994. And when we think about the fact that it took us until 1994 to make sure that violent crimes against women would all be looked at as crimes and and investigated and persecuted and not just passed over by whoever was in charge, which which a lot of those crimes did, is really a gut punch, particularly when you think about, you know, well, how close are we to a society like Gilead? And then you think of, well, in 1994, you know, this was the first time where violence against women was, you know, a stake was put in the ground to say that this was a crime, a punishable crime. And it's just something I kind of want everyone to think about as we move forward with this season, because this season seems to be on a very kind of more upbeat, upward trajectory towards revolution and the resistance being very strong, which is great. And while it's kind of taking this positive turn, I don't want people to forget the violence that has been inflicted on so many of the women in the society of Gilead, primarily the handmaids, to an extent the Marthas, definitely the women in the colonies. I don't know how the women who are Jezebels feel, 
you know, when your choice to become an unpaid sex worker is a better choice than becoming a handmaid or a Martha or going to a death camp, you know, what does that say? Um, I know a lot of people choose sex work as a profession, but it says something when you're choosing that as a profession as a best or better alternative to anything else out there. So some food for thought as we head into this episode, particularly because this episode really deals with the value of women in a somewhat disturbing way. And why don't we just get right into that and start talking about that? So let's begin with Commander Lawrence. This is a man who clearly likes to toy with people. I actually think of it more like he's trying to mindfuck people and that the women of his household don't really know where they're where they stand. We don't see his wife in this episode, but it's fair to say that perhaps she doesn't even know where she stands with her husband. It's definitely clear that he is giving a new Martha, whose name is Sienna, a really hard time. Aren't Martha supposed to be clean? You know, she's got like a spot of water on her dress. It's kind of ridiculous. Giving June a really kind of weird... So what is the penalty if a handmaid opens the door? You know, it's just just like these snide comments where it makes women feel unsafe to do anything. Where their every move is being watched to the point where it might even be a crime for you to answer the door in the house that you're living. It's, It's pretty ridiculous and shocking. And so Martha Beth says, he's testing us, and he is. And he tests June consistently and continuously throughout this entire episode. They're really trying to feel each one another out. You know, they're both, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch where he is the person that has so much control. He keeps pushing her buttons to see where the levers are. And I think she is, as I mentioned in the last episode of the pod, that she is also just info gathering on him as much as she can. Like, who is this man? What makes him tick? How can I understand his POV? He does this through the whole episode. They're getting ready to have this, you know, important meeting at his house. He does not go out for meetings. I find that fascinating as well. Perhaps that there have been rumblings about his other activities in terms of smuggling out handmaids and whatnot. And perhaps he feels he has a target on his back if he goes out in public. Who knows? Maybe he just doesn't like to be out in public and and be with people. The commanders are gathering for this meeting and Fred arrives and June sees him and initiates conversation. And she's very kind and gracious, which, I mean, considering all that she was put through in the Waterford household, you really have to give her credit for looking past that to get what she wants in in the moment. And really what she wants out of Fred is to get an understanding of who Commander Lawrence is. And he paints this picture of, He's Gilead's visionary. He's a man who is hard to read, that the commanders have a hard time reading. He's a survivor, which 
Maybe we'll get more to that, more into that later. There's been some speculation that perhaps he and his wife lost children, but you know, what does, what does that mean? He's a survivor, something hopefully that will be revealed as the season goes on, that he's not sentimental and that he doesn't like to be bored. And I think that is very clear. Even when we look back at season two, some of his conversations with Emily that were just so crunchy and, you know, him talking about the female genital mutilation that, that she went under and his kind of reaction to that, you couldn't really tell if he didn't seem like he felt sorry about it. It was, it was just creepy. You know, he is a creepy, weird dude with a lot of ideas, clearly one that led to this horrifying society. And so in some ways he's almost become my new aunt Lydia, where it's like, what is the backstory behind this person? Who are they really? They are like an onion. And it's like, what are we going to find when we peel back the layers? Um, I think he is the main onion now. Aunt Lydia is still an onion. I'd like to know a lot more about her, but um, this guy is, uh, this guy kind of takes the cake. As this meeting progresses, Deanna comes in to tell June, he wants you to pour their drinks. I'm not fast enough. June goes into the room. Who do we see in the room? But Nick dressed as a commander now. So clearly he has received a promotion somehow in some way. Very interesting. And she walks into this conversation about women they have captured from Chicago who were in the resistance there fighting against Gilead quite openly. Um, It seems at one point Chicago had taken back the city and then uh, Gilead turned around and, and reclaimed it, I guess. And they've captured all these women and they're talking about what to do with them. Some say they should outright be salvaged, that... They should just put them all to death, that they are so useless, it's not even worth putting them in the colonies because putting them in the colonies would be like a slap on the wrist. And we've all seen the colonies. You die a slow death, I believe, due to radiation exposure. And um, it it's not pretty. It's life, but it's not pretty. They're talking about the usefulness of women. And there's... A moment where Commander Lawrence asked June to get a book off the shelf and everyone's kind of holding their breath. All the men in the room are holding their breath because women aren't allowed to read. And in order to identify the correct book, she would have to read the spines of the books. And he directs her to where the book is, yellow lettering, it's in that stack, third one up. So in some ways that kind of skirts around the issue of maybe her having to read the word, the title of the book, but literally all the men in the room are still and silent and holding their breath, watching to see what happens next. And then he makes this really kind of like snide joke, like, good job, you know, like, wow, you were able to retrieve this book under my direction and kind of laughs. Oh, see, women can be useful. And all the men in the room chuckle. And then we get to see um, 
the original Hell Hath No Fury bitch face from June, who is just incensed. You know, there's nothing she can really do in this moment, but man, she is just so pissed off and who can blame her? I mean, it's just such a display and it really speaks back to the, the character of this commander. He doesn't like to be bored. He likes to test people. He likes to play with people and mind fuck them. And he has a very interesting display of his power over June in this scene. So I guess we could say that there has been some joking between commanders behind the handmaid's back about, oh, your handmaid's good looking and, you know, just kind of like <laughs> high school boy, stuff like that. But this was a real demonstration of power over women, over June, over handmaids in general. And it was pretty disgusting, really, when we think about it. We're going to come back to June and Commander Lawrence for sure, but I want to switch gears for a minute and let's talk about Serena Joy. Serena Joy is at her mother's and it quickly becomes really clear how Serena Joy came to be. Her mother is a very dominating force, has very high expectations of her daughter Similar in the way to how June's mother had very high expectations of her before. And as things kind of reveal themselves in this mother-daughter relationship, we see that Serena Joy's mother, whose name is Pamela, um, which is also my mother's name, is a kind of a strange coincidence, but that Serena Joy's mother has basically told all of Serena Joy's troubles to her very creepy prayer circle. This is actually, I think, one of the first times that I have seen a group come together in Gilead for the specific purpose of praying. So I thought that was interesting because I don't feel like we've seen them gathered in a place of worship to worship, but it was interesting to see this type of prayer circle gathering in uh, one of their households that seemed quite organized and, and quite active and like something that happened on a regular basis. So the look on Serena Joy's face as she sat down in the middle of that prayer circle and the man leading the prayer started talking about her marriage, that her daughter was missing, you know, just things that it's like, gee, mom, did you have to tell everyone is, is kind of the initial reaction to it. But then later on, they're having a conversation. And this comes after Serena Joy is spending a lot of time outside looking at the ocean. I can't tell if, if the house is on Cape Cod or maybe if it's, if it's further north and, and somewhere like Maine, but they're definitely on the coast. It seems like a very kind of stormy season. Maybe it's it's fall, early, heading into early winter. But Serena just keeps looking at that water. Like, I don't know, is she tempted to, to go in and end and her life? What is she thinking? This kind of brings us back to that question that I raised earlier, I think, in episode one, it doesn't necessarily, is she suicidal or does she just want to kill the person she's become in Gilead? And I think that is the primary question for Serena Joy this season. But 
she comes back into the kitchen and is trying to talk to her mother. She wants to try and share some of what she has been going through and some of the awful things that she and Fred did together, mainly to June, but to other things. And her mother's like, no, I don't want to hear it. That's between you two, which I think is very isolating. You know, I've always felt that Serena Joy has been in need of a confidant and, you know, kind of like a best girlfriend in a way. There are many times through last season where I felt she was trying to establish that with June. They would, you know, she'd try to initiate, you know, kind of some meaningless gossip on their walks together. She held that brunch for her, which seemed to be a very kind of girlfriend thing to do. You know, they were, she was really trying to, I think, create some type of relationship with June. But of course, the power struggle between them with the baby at the center of it really kind of messes everything up. And then in Gilead itself does, you know, Serena has this want for kind of more friendship and and intimacy with another woman to confide in. And yet it seems like Serena Joy wants this friendship and this intimacy with another woman that perhaps would be something she had prior to Gilead, you know, um, a bestie, so to speak, just a really good friend that, you know, you can tell all your woes and your troubles to and ask advice of. It seemed like that's something she really wants and was almost trying to tap into June for in a way. But what really prevents that from happening is is Gilead and the structure there. It's it's very isolated and isolating. And when you think about it, women who are in abusive relationships their husbands or whoever the person is abusing them finds a way to isolate them from people that might care about them and defend them. And I think that we've seen June's concern about Serena, even about Mrs. Lawrence has the reaction from the men coming back seems very uh, aggressive and you know, it's almost like they don't want these women to care about each other. Um, and that that is the ultimate way they are maintaining control and abuse, whether it's, it's physical or mental abuse or abuse against someone just being able to have rights and freedoms and make decisions. And she has this conversation with her mother. Look at you. All the gifts you've been given. But you need everything to be exactly how you want. Spoiled little girl. I'm sorry. You know there's no place in this world for you without Fred. Serena Joy is broken. And her mother is not going to be the type of mother that helps her rebuild herself in the way Serena Joy needs to be rebuilt. Her mother is very much the Gilead party line. And even though Serena Joy was that way for a long time, it's becoming clear to her that 
this is not a way of life that she can tolerate or live with. And she's also very distraught over losing Nicole. And I think she's starting to put the pieces together. I think she's starting to put together the bigger picture of the way things really are, what reality really is, that whatever air quotes utopia they were trying to achieve with Gilead is not sustainable for many of the people in the society. Um, It's not sustainable. It's not fair. It doesn't feel good. And I think this is a point we see Serena feeling truly helpless in a way, helpless, vulnerable, and very broken. So getting back to Commander Lawrence in June, it's clear June has been holding something in all day. And she goes in to confront Commander Lawrence and he knows everything about her. It's, it's a little stunning the way he, he knows everything about her. He knows that she had a role in breaking up a marriage. He knows that there was a time once when she was working that she missed phone calls about her daughter being sick at school while she was at work. I mean, clearly they have been keeping files on people for every single movement. And that's a little scary when you think about it. It makes you think about through your life, what are some things that you have done that don't seem like they would really have consequences? It's just, you know, you kind of chalk it up to, oh, well, you know, stuff happens. And you just kind of try and forgive yourself for the small mistakes you make and and move on. It feels like Gilead has a running list of all those small mistakes that anyone has made, particularly as they pertain to, um, I guess, kind of moral character and motherhood and the ability to parent, which is somewhat frightening. So they are getting into it, Commander Lawrence and June. And then he talks about her you know, he's, he's, he's kind of berating her and then he's just like, useless. Useless. You wrote esoteric books. You did that. God. It must be scary. Huh? Seeing the numbers on those spreadsheets turn into real people, real people being executed. Knowing that if no one had read your books, we would all be better off. It must be hell being a man like that. Far worse than useless. You know what? I get it. I get why you would do this. I suppose you would hole yourself up in a house like this. Playing games with people's heads, doing a good deed or two every once in a while so that you can fucking sleep at night. How tempting it is to invent a humanity for anyone at all. So there's this scene, and at the end of it, he decides to take June somewhere with him. And he takes her to a holding warehouse, and there are maybe about 100, maybe 200 women in these cells. And he says, all these women are for Chicago. 
and they're going to be salvaged. They're going to the colonies. She's like, make them all Marthas. He goes, we only have room for five. And he wants her to choose which five. And, you know, this is something where it's kind of coming back to the consequences of your actions in Gilead, but in life as well. June tries to blame Commander Lawrence for the fate of whatever these women are going to be, whether they will all go to the colonies or, you know, the five that will get to stay behind and serve Gilead as Martha's. And he's just kind of, it's not that simple. He's like, you're blaming me? Well, what about you? You have a choice in this. You know, what is your choice? I think he is trying to get June to understand the difficult position he's in. Much like June used to listen to Fred and, you know, his struggles as a commander. I think that Commander Lawrence has not had this person where he can really communicate with and maybe help get to understand his side of it and what he's dealing with every day as a result of his actions and his hand in creating Gilead. Somewhere in the middle of this all, Nick shows up at the house to see June. They have a very awkward exchange. It almost seems like Nick was able to get his commander appointment with some deal he did with Fred. Maybe that was to not rat out the whole household. Um, I don't know. But, you know, good for Nick. For he's, he's playing the game. He's got a little more... He's got a lot more freedom as a commander, I'm sure. But the news he has to tell June is that he is getting deployed to the front lines, you know, where they are still, Gilead is still fighting to take over cities. And she's just like, you're going to get killed. It's like a very cold exchange. And then he leaves, but he stays right outside the door. She immediately kind of regrets the things that she said. She opens the door. He enters her room. They lock the door. We've all seen how those two uh, get busy, so we can only imagine what happened throughout the night. After that, we see June the next morning. She's kind of got this, I don't know, I call it a dreamy look on her face. She looks satisfied. And um, I th one of the Marthas comes in to tell her she has a visitor, and it is Serena Joy. And at first, they just start talking about Nicole. Serena is trying to understand how she can let go of all the feelings she has for that baby. And the truth is, she really can't. And again, we're seeing a conversation between mothers about a child that is, you know, that's, that's pretty moving. And it's, it is very friendly, you know. June is telling Serena Joy, oh, I think that's the politician in her. And I think she gets that from you, which, you know, is kind of a cute thing to say. Although I don't think June has realized how much of a politician she is at this point, which is kind of fascinating. June asks Serena Joy, how do you remember her? And she goes, I remember her in the bath. And this is really a callback to season one where June is in the bathtub and that is where memories of Hannah come back to her the most easily, which um, 
just some really, really kind of nice synergy there. Then June has another kind of line of conversation for Serena. We can help each other. We cannot count on them. They hate us, Serena. They are not on our side. I tried. You have to try harder. Um, I'm not that person anymore. You're scared. Use it. Maybe we're stronger than we think we are. So this season is clearly about June going all in on the resistance. And then she's also trying to build something. And this Asta Serena Joy is really, I think, a very important and interesting first step. And we'll see what comes out of it. But June is very frank with Serena. And based on everything Serena has been going through, it's something that resonates with her. And the next time we see her, she is back at the ocean, and she's wading into the ocean. And again, for a minute, I'm wondering if she's going to end her life. This scene has a lot of interesting callbacks to a book I read in college called The Awakening, which deals with a bunch of different things, but ultimately it ends with the main character walking into the ocean to end her life. And I just kept thinking about that as she's out there in the water and she's, it's hard to tell what she's doing. Maybe she, you know, like June in season one, being in the water is a way to reconnect with the memory of Nicole in a more meaningful way. And then we see her come out of that water. Fred's there. She really just walks past him and ignores him. And you know, we're getting a lot of really great dialogue from June in the background. And really, June is at one point talking to her mother about the culture of women that her mother always wanted. And she says, it's not the culture you wanted, but it's a culture. And this is what it looks like. Thinking back to June and the expectations that her mother had for her, it feels like everything is coming to fruition in the hopes of the hopes that June's mother had for her. You know, at one point she says, when you were little, all you talked about was, was being on the Supreme Court one day and you're a book editor. We all have dreams and goals when we're young, but I think for someone like June's mother, who is so politically active pro-woman, pro-women's rights, that in some ways June was just a disappointment in that way. You know, I think June's mother felt the work that Moira was doing with, with uh, you know, kind of LGBTQ folks, even just building their website, was more meaningful and had more value than what June was doing as a book editor. However, I think that if she was still alive. I mean, we only assume she's dead because she went to the colonies at the beginning of this. I think that if she was still alive, she would be extremely proud of June and what she's doing. And um, it's very exciting to see. It's very exciting to see someone 
who felt like they could do nothing, like, you know, they weren't the type of person to get involved in resistance or political activities, awaken to what is happening and how they can get involved to reverse a really bad situation and make life more livable for everyone. And how we end this episode is with June ultimately accepting the fact that she has a choice. She has a rare choice to select five women to become Martha's. And because choices in Gilead are so very limited for women, she decides to take advantage of that choice and choose women that are going to benefit the resistance. We have five new Marthas for the resistance. An engineer, an IT tech, a journalist, a lawyer, and a thief. How do you know? I chose them. That's really where we're at with this episode. I'm happy to say that I have got some feedback on the season so far. And the feedback is from W. Axel Foley, who I hope will join me in discussing an episode later this season. Axel produces a podcast called Daily DVR. He is covering the HBO series Big Little Lies this season. So I encourage you to find that on whatever vehicle you use to listen to your podcast and check it out. He released the first episode um, of the pod with um, the woman, Jenny, that he is recording with earlier this week. I listened to it. It is great. But now for Axel's feedback. I've long thought that Serena has to be fundamental in taking down Gilead in the end. After all, she was really the architect of the whole society. It was her passion and dedication to the cause that enabled them to grab public attention, and she was the one who wrote all of their doctrine. I really feel that Serena is such a fundamental character, and as we see in our own society, as you point out as well, there are many Serenas among us. I feel like June and Serena have to come together, and I feel like it's all because of June. June has made the decision that in order to be treated like a human, she must treat each human as a human always. This extends to even the worst of humanity. In effect, as she says to Serena, God will protect her daughter, June has become the Christ figure in this story, not only because of her sacrifice, but more importantly, because she embodies love. She's beating them at their own game, but that might have to go on for a little bit. I think that is a fantastic statement. I mean, spot on with everything. And I think I've said over and over again, June is being so gracious. She's being so kind. And, you know, Axel, yes, you totally summed it up with this. Um, I love kind of thinking of her as a a Christ-like figure. And then he has a little bit more to say about June and Commander Lawrence. I think that June and Commander Lawrence are going to make a great team. I'm very excited about this season. Actually, I'm more excited about this season than I have been in a while. It took me a while to finish the second season with my wife because it is such a hard show to watch, even though it's very watchable. 
100% agree. This is not easy programming to watch. It is beautifully written. It is acted beyond miles and it's stunning, visually stunning in many instances, but the content of it is just really horrifying um, a lot of the time. But, you know, as I think I've mentioned before, the writers and producers of the show and, and Margaret Atwood herself had said, listen, anything you see in the show, it's happening somewhere in this world. They are not making up the abuses or, you know, some of the political societies, this is, it's happening somewhere. So think about that as you watch this show, because, you know, for people who think, oh, we're not that close to Gilead, you know, it's possible because there are societies out there that don't embody all of the horrors we see of Gilead, but embody a handful or at least one, including our own, including our own here in the United States. So so that's something to think about. Well, I think that is it for the episode. In terms of Sister Resistor or Mr. Resistor of the week, I mean, it's got to be June again. She is the most active in this right now. I really hope that we will see Serena Joy join her as a Sister Resistor again and potentially Nick and maybe even Commander Lawrence. I think it's a little too early to tell with some of those folks, but right now this is June's show. She is taking charge and she is working against Gilead in any way she can, even with making a decision about the Marthas she chooses in that really kind of awful decision she has to make. It's an awful decision, but it's one she makes and she makes it with the greater good in mind. So Uh, kudos to June this week. And then it's not a sister resistor and it's not a Mr. Resistor, but I was really, I was so impacted by the Futures Without Violence event that I went to last night. I want to give the resistor award for this episode to Futures Without Violence and every other organization that works whether it is at uh, the policy level to fight to fight violence against women, or if it's at a community and local level that provides safety and shelter for women who are victims of violence. These organizations are really important to our society. You know, having had um, family members and friends who have been victims of domestic violence and needed to get out of bad situations or get help to start healing and recovering from really bad situations. These organizations are so needed. And I think these organizations are even more needed when you consider looking at the violence that happens against women in Gilead just looking at the violence that happens against women today in our society, you know, there's a lot we hear about, but there's a lot we don't hear about. And I hope that you'll check out Futures Without Violence and check to see what the organizations in your community are that are helping protect and support women that have been victims of violence.
Thank you very much for listening in today. As always, I would love to get feedback from you, the listeners. Please email me at resistinggilead at gmail.com to share your feedback about the podcast, about the season so far, letting me know if you would like to come on and be part of the show. And in addition to ending the show with Don't Let the Bastards Grind You Down, I'd also like to add Viva La Resistance because I think we have something up and running with June and it will be exciting to see how it plays out over the course of the rest of the season. 